Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is firstbook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended quote-unquote summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. Firstbook breaks down the barriers to education for children living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help Alyssa Shalaski is the writer and editor of New York Magazine's popular Sex Diaries column, which has been optioned by HBO to be a docu-series. She also writes New York Magazine's Both Sides of the Breakup column and many other relationship, motherhood, and lifestyle pieces for them. She writes for the New York Times and recently had one of their most read essays ever called Is Sex Dead for Parents? She's written for everyone from Bon Appetit to Condé Nast Traveler to Town and Country and People. Her memoir, Apron Anxiety, My Messy Affairs in and Out of the Kitchen, was optioned by Sony Television. And since then, she's developed several TV shows with producers like Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory and Cherry Appleby from Unreal. Last week, in a preempt, she signed a deal with St. Martin's Press to write This Might Be Too Personal, essays on love and pain as tied to her wild-hearted life as a love, sex, and celebrity writer. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I have so much to talk to you about, and I don't even know what to start first. First of all, your book, Apron Anxiety, My Messy Affairs in and Out of the Kitchen, was so good. And I know you wrote this a while ago, and you have lots of exciting stuff coming up and everything, but I have to say, I just loved it. It was so good. So I just had to start with that. (laughs) You know, like, that means a lot to me. And the people who did read that book had a similar reaction. And I would get emails from people saying, I'm like in the grocery store thinking about this scene and it brought me to my knees and like people had a really emotional reaction to the pages and that may, it makes me really happy it also makes me kind of emotional to talk about the book it's strange because it was a while ago it was eight years ago that I wrote it and published it but it really stuck with me and I still have dreams and also even sort of like nightmares about some of the stories in the book and it was it really defines a huge part of my life. I mean, you talked every in the book about everything. It was like a coming of age, but also 
your learning how to cook was just like a metaphor, I feel like, for so many <laughs> other things. And, and you know, I also like had to teach myself how to cook when I was about the same age. And I feel like there were so, so many similarities in our lives. And like going to LA, I also like went to LA for parts of the time. I also lost a dear friend on 9-11. Like oh I God. had, there were just like all these things in both of our growing up that I was like, oh my gosh, this girl should be my friend. So anyway. <laughs> um, thank you so much. It's strange because... That I get that a lot, even like in the articles I write for New York Magazine or the New York Times. I often get, I often hear from people that like, you are me or you know me or you hear me or whatever. And I get it from people who are so different from me, so different from you. And it, to me, that just speaks to this, the universal truths that we all want to love and be loved and everybody hurts. And especially right now, everybody is struggling. So yeah, thank you. I, I can't believe that I have like one more reader. I didn't do a really good job marketing that book. I was, I just didn't get it. I was so happy that I wrote a book and I was so happy to be done with the book. And I, I wanted to move to Italy and write my own Eat, Pray, Love the minute it was over. And I didn't really work on the marketing or the sales of it all. Now I know the business, you know, I know it goes into actually selling a book. So not that many people read it. So I do feel like this real closeness to, to people who now know all my secrets and who, well, you know, who were on that journey with me. I mean, no time like the present. Let's like get this in people's hands. It's, you know, the, also it's so timeless. Like it doesn't matter that it came out eight years ago versus today. I mean, aside from the global pandemic, there's nothing that you can't relate to now. There's nothing that, you know, a 23 year old going through the same things today or, you know, not that you have to be 23. It's just like, it, it could have been at any time really. So at that time, what made you, so you had the very successful blog at the time, Apron Anxiety. Did, what, how did this become a book from the, from the blog? So it feels like many lifetimes ago, I was engaged to a celebrity chef. I don't know if he's quite a celebrity anymore, but at, at the time he was kind of like, you know, the it chef. He was on Top Chef. And it was supposed to be a very different book. We were really happy. We were, you know, young, dumb, and in love. And I got a book deal with Clarkson Potter. To, it was a food memoir with recipes, but it was supposed to have a, a happy ending. And I don't, no spoiler alerts, but like most relationships with sexy, hot, young chefs, it, it did not go as planned. And in the middle of, well, right when I started writing it, after I got my book deal, we broke up. Again, that doesn't ruin, like you could Google me. I have two kids with a totally, you know, I have a totally different life now. So, you know, it didn't, I didn't end up with a chef. After we broke up, I remember I mean, my, my world fell apart. And on top of everything, I assumed I had lost my book deal, which was really the greatest love of my life. The, the thing that mattered more than any of it was as a writer to, to have a book. And I assumed I lost that on top of everything else. So I called my editor at Clarkson Potter and I said, it's, you know, it's over and I'm, I'm not a chef's going to be a chef's wife anymore. And I'm moving back to New York alone and I doubt I'll be cooking for anybody ever again. And she said, are you crazy? Like right through the pain, first of all, as someone who cares about you, right through that pain and, and it will save you. And second of all, what a better story. Like who needs another like happy ending? What a better story that you went through this, you lived it, you survived, you lived to tell about it. And at some point you will be able to laugh and, and, and celebrate the mistakes you made. And she was right. And that was what turned out to be the book, but it was a totally different type of book in the end. It was much more of a memoir than a cookbook. And it made the, I think part of the reason that I, I sort of, the minute the book came out, I sort of just like left for Italy. 
is that it was a really intimate story to tell and very, very hard to retell over and over because I was very much heartbroken and 34 and starting to really become scared about my future and wondering if I, you know, if I had really fucked things up for the long term. And the last thing I wanted to do was keep retelling the story of immense pain and regret. And so I did some press and I did what I could because I was very proud of the book, but I mostly wanted to literally turn the page. And so that's why I moved to Italy and started a whole new trajectory of messed up (laughs) relationships and difficult men and, you know, just romantic disasters that I couldn't seem to escape. But luckily there's going to be a second book. (laughs) Yes. Wait, can I just ask as a PS, are you still in touch with the chef? Like, do you have a relationship with him now? Uh, Not really at all, but this is not just some like cheap line. I only have beautiful, warm, loving feelings for him. Number one, he let me write that book with no drama. I mean, I remember the editor and the lawyer saying we have to send this book to him to approve every single page. And and, and I wanted that too. I wanted to make sure he was comfortable with it. And within like half a day, he wrote back, you write whatever you want. I support. He was so kind and generous. And I loved him for a long time. And then I, you know, I stopped loving him and, and we moved on. And so I, and I think he had a child right around when I had my first child, which at the time, the thought of that, like your ex having a baby with somebody else who they're madly in love with sounds like, how would you ever deal with that? But at the time I was nothing but joyful for him and, and psyched for the two of us. Like we, we did it. We found our happy places. We found our people. We found our babies. So it's all good. But no, I don't really know anything about him. I am not one of those people that Googles her exes. I think that is so like toxic. And I don't want to know, like he, he kind of has a public name. So every now and then people will be like, oh, I heard he, you know, is opening in my, it's like, I don't want to know. I just, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing good comes from that. I don't why? So I can miss him a little bit so I can like cry a little tear. I don't want it. So I don't know what he's up to and we're not in touch, but I love him and I hope all good things. Oh, that's amazing. I did find myself sometimes rooting for you guys to make it work, knowing that like it was almost impossible, but, and I knew it didn't because I know I've read your more recent stuff, but anyway, you know how like you can suspend disbelief when you're reading? I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. I know. And then uh, you just tell yourself what you need to at the end of books to just like, so that you can sleep at night. Like <laughs> I, that happened with normal people where I was like, oh, they, they took a year or two. I, I assume you read it or at least saw the show. I saw like, the show. They took yeah. a year or two off, but they totally found each other in the end. And they're totally <laughs> I to tell myself that just to be able to put the book away. And so then, so you went to Italy and then you ended up having, you were a single mom for a while and then you fell in love and now you have another child and you, with someone you call your baby daddy and <laughs> your partner and whatever There's else. No, God, I need to rebrand. I really need to rebrand the, the term for whatever we are. I know a lot of non-married couples also don't know how to deal with this, but yeah, I'll, I'll rewind. So I, I went to Italy. I fell in love with literally the first man I spoke, the first human being I spoke to, and we were inseparable for the next year. And I was like, okay, well, this is how my story ends. This is interesting. Like I have a Brooklyn slash Roman life and we go back and forth. And I became a travel writer for Kanye Nast Traveler. I was the Rome correspondent. And it was the optics of it were very, very glamorous. But 
he was very dark. Was, you know, I clearly have a, a type. He was a little bit dark and brooding, super sexy. And after a year together, told me that he wanted to ride off on his motorcycle through India, smoking hash in yurts alone. Oh. Um, I know. Oh. That's exactly. It was, and I didn't see it coming. So I moved back to New York the next day. And by then I was romantically dead. Mm -hmm. I was just dead. I don't know. Like, it was like, how many heartbreaks can one person go through before they are officially broken? And I was a little bit broken. And my inner spirit was, was not herself. And I didn't know what to do. So I let myself be sad for a few months. But it's really not my style. Like, I, I really, I can't stay sad for long. So I rose above and I asked myself, I remember one night I looked in the mirror in my little Ditmas Park apartment in Brooklyn and I was crying and I said, what do you want, Alyssa? Like, what, what is it? What will make you happy? You are capable of anything. You can handle anything. What do you want? And the answer was motherhood. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to be a mom. And that thread had, I, I've always wanted to be a mom so that it wasn't like a, a Aha. It was like, it is time. By then I was 37 and I knew, and not all women know this. It's not, this is not, I, I can only speak for myself. I knew I wasn't going to have a happy life if I didn't have kids. That was just my truth. So I only knew one other person who was having a baby on her own. And that's a mutual friend, Amanda. And she was a little ahead of me. Like she already knew and I've, I've quoted her in stories and she knows that she's the, the sort of the, the hero of this story. I did exactly what she told me to do. You know, like she knows, she knows her shit. She knew the best mm -hmm. doctor. She knew the best sperm bank. And she's, she's so cool. And I really relied on her to get me through this. And I, I'm telling you, Zibby, from the minute I made that decision, I'm going to have a baby on my own. I never, I've never felt scared. I was never nervous. It felt so right and so natural and so obvious. Like what took me so long? And it worked. I got pregnant quite easily. I chose a sperm donor who I knew the minute I saw his profile, like that he was the one. And I had my daughter Hazel. And while I was pregnant, I dated a little bit because why not? I felt sexy. My boobs were amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I felt more alive than I ever had. I stopped dating, obviously, when it like became uncomfortable to button my, you know, little wrap dresses and stuff. And I had, you know, I, I had a, a little bit of like a romance while I was pregnant, which was nice because I had like a person to call after my appointments. And it was a very... It was a, it was a magical time. It was a magical time. And then I had my daughter and I should say, I wasn't totally alone. I have an incredibly supportive family and we all live nearby. And my dad was, the, I had an emergency C-section and my dad was there with me and he was the first person to hold my daughter. It was a beautiful love fest. I never felt bad for myself. I never worried about how I would pull it off. I don't have a lot of money. I don't come from a lot of money. I never, a lot of people were concerned, like, how would I support a child? I knew it would work out and it did. It did. So a few months after I had Hazel, I was bored. I was nursing around the clock. I had watched every show. I had binged every housewife. I had nothing left to do at three o'clock in the morning. So I joined Tinder 
and I put in my profile, single mom with a very uncomplicated situation. In other words, you know, no crazy ex, because it it was weird to have like a, a five month old, you know, like I had to sort of explain, but I didn't say too much. I just said, it's all good. I got a good situation here. I'm single. I kind of just want somebody to have a glass of wine with, you know, I was not looking for a husband. I was not looking for a father for my daughter. I just wanted a little bit of flirtation. And I think the first part, one of the first people I met was this guy, Sam. And he said he was from Maine and he was a documentary filmmaker and just like all the things that always <laughs> lured me in, you know, like the sexy artsy thing. But I could tell within a minute of talking to him, he was more than that. And he was a family man. He came from a big family. He was grounded. He was stable and steady. All those sort of missing pieces <laughs> from before. And we had a first date. My mom watched my daughter and we had Bloody Mary's at Vinegar Hill House and Hazel came with us on every single date from that point on. And we became a family really quickly. And it is, it's, it's a, it's a fairy tale. It really is a fairy tale. He's wonderful. She said, daddy, before she said, mommy, we just had another baby together. I'm 42. I just had a second baby and it wasn't that hard. (laughs) So it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of miraculous, hopeful things, but you know, I do often hear it all worked out, you know, it's, and Part of me is like, I mean, it did, but also we would have been okay. I don't, I don't really love the message like that we needed a man for it to all work out. It worked out the minute I had a healthy baby. So it's a beautiful story, but it's not a beautiful story just because we found the Prince Charming. That's just, you know, a nice, <laughs> a nice little cherry on, a nice handsome cherry on top. Wow. So that's, that's the story. It didn't come without a lot of pain and a lot of hard choices. You know, I tell my stories and I always cry because they're, they're beautiful stories, but there was so much heartbreak and so much struggle that went into this and there will be more heartbreak and there will be more struggle for all of us. And that's what it is to be alive. And that's why I can't wait to write this next book. I, I have so much, so much to say about this stuff. Wait, so tell me about your next book and congratulations on your book deal. So exciting. Tell everybody the name and what it's about and all the rest of it. Okay. I'm so glad I'm, I can announce it on your podcast. Yay! It just happened like a second ago. So we're calling it, This Might Be Too Personal. And it's a series of essays on my own private stories of love and pain as tied to my career as love, sex, and celebrity writer. Because so many of my relationships and hardships happened because of work, you know, where I was with work or my career, my ambition, or my successes or my failure, and mostly my failures. So it's all in there together, sort of like maybe you should talk to someone, Mm -hmm. which I'm listening to right now and loving, but just their personal stories, but in relation to my really unique work life. I'm so excited to do it. There's nothing I'm not going to talk about. I'm scared, but I'm really excited. And before you were saying you have high hopes, it's going to be a masterpiece, which is like (laughs) the greatest thing to hear from a writer. I love it. No doubt. It's going to be amazing. I cannot wait. Especially from that, like, neurotic, like, I'm not like one of those neurotic self-hating writers. Yeah. Like, thank God. I thank goodness. I'm a great writer. Yeah, that's it. You're you own it. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. And your recent articles in the New York Times have been so amazing. And I particularly appreciated letting your article when you let sort of every married couple off the hook from having sex in the pandemic. That was very kind of you. So thanks for that. <laughs> I was really surprised that so many people were like, thank you so much. 
I'm like, isn't this what you talk about with your friends? Like all we talk about is how we don't want to have sex. Like that's literally, it's like, <laughs> but hi, do you want to get a latte? Did you have to have sex last night? Like it's, that is, that's it. And you know, like I said in the story, we will all get our sex lives back, but oh God, not now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I am so excited to have gotten this sneak peek of your new book. I loved all your articles, being a single mom and then how you just told it now and how you wrote about it in the Times and your recent article in the Times and your book and all your other um, zillion articles and essays and everything. You're a fantastic writer and I love that you just share your voice so openly and you are who you are and it's just refreshing and awesome and I am so just rooting for you at every step as I was just even reading the book, just like, just like holding my breath and rooting for you. And so now I feel this sense of like ridiculous pride, <laughs> even though I just am meeting you having gone through your memoir that like, it's, you know, to, to see where you are now and all you've been through. So oh my God. I can't well, wait to keep following you. It's like amazing. It's really, seriously, it's super meaningful to like talk about the new book with you for the first time because I feel really safe with you and really close to you through our mutual friends. And just, I think that you're awesome. I oh, think you are you. so good for women and writers and I, I'm lucky you're part of my tribe. Oh, well, <laughs> anything I can do to help with this new book, I mean it. I'm like, I know it's going to be amazing just like you do. And I still think we should try to resurrect Apron Anxiety and get it back out there and not let it just, you know, sit undiscovered because it's so good. Anyway, okay. I'm glad we've connected. Thank you. So glad. Good, good luck with everything you, go, you guys are going through. Thank you. And you too. Okay. Bye. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day Book Blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thank you.